Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Hello. Here's another installment in this little mini-series of summer poetry episodes. I have three poems today about blackberries, or at least that mention the word blackberry. When I read John Clare's sonnet, Summer Moods, the first two lines go, I love at eventide to walk alone down narrow lanes or hung with dewy thorn. And to me, it's so obvious that those dewy thorns would be blackberry in late summer, in high summer, to be walking along a lane. Where I live, the thorns are blackberry thorns. And there's something about blackberries. Nothing else is quite like it. They're so bloody, so rich, so hot from the sun, so pokey. So many times I've had blood and juice of blackberry running down my arm as we stopped to gather along the country lanes. The prickles that come off them onto your hands, they're just evocative. They're fleshly. They're fleeting. You can't rush them. You can't make them come before you want, before they're ready, or make them linger long enough after to make one more cobbler. No, they come and go as they please. There's such a force of season to me. Um, and so I was delighted to be able to collect some blackberry poems together in a little bouquet for you. The first one is by Seamus Haney again. When I read his poems, I so wish I had an Irish accent. Maybe you could find videos um, or recordings of him somewhere reading his poetry with his beautiful little touch of Irish accent. They're better that way, but I'll do my best with my own voice that I've been given. It's a bit of a story poem, this one, a memory poem. The speaker thinking back on his childhood of blackberry picking. And he captures here that fleeting nature of this season that you can't hold on to no matter how much you want to make it last. Like summer itself. I'm going to try to only read these once today. That's why I'm giving a little commentary ahead of time. But I'll just bring this to you. Blackberry Picking by Seamus Haney. Late August, given heavy rain and sun, for a full week the blackberries would ripen. At first... Just one, a glossy purple clot, among others red, green, hard as a knot. You ate that first one, and its flesh was sweet like thickened wine. Summer's blood was in it, leaving stains upon the tongue and lust for picking. Then, red ones inked up, and that hunger sent us out with milk cans, pea tins, jam pots where briars scratched and wet grass bleached our boots. Round hayfields, 
cornfields, and potato drills. We trekked and picked until the cans were full, until the tinkling bottom had been covered with green ones, and on top, big dark blobs burned like a plate of eyes. Our hands were peppered with thorn pricks, our palms sticky as bluebeards. We hoarded the fresh berries in the byre, but when the bath was filled, we found a fur, a rat-gray fungus glutting on our cash. The juice was stinking too. Once off the bush, the fruit fermented, the sweet flesh would turn sour. I always felt like crying. It wasn't fair that all the lovely canfuls smelt of rot. Each year I hoped they'd keep, knew they would not. I think that might be the Blackberry poem of all Blackberry poems. He captures almost every essential thing about Blackberry goodness in that season, in that poem. The second one is a little bit lighter and shorter, and it only says the word blackberry once. This is another poem by Clemens Stark. I've been bringing a couple of his lately to you. This one reminds me of Charles Wright. If you've listened long enough, you've heard me wrestle with his poems. He's one of my favorites, but it isn't always easy to talk about why or what he's up to. This is, to me, a slightly lighter version of a Charles Wright voice and tone. It has a conversational tone to it. It mentions the moon as a friend personified. Um, feels a little bit like a tail being spun out on a porch. I like all those things about it. And I like the conviviality of a summer evening spent out on the porch with a friend. So this is called An Invitation by Clemens Stark. Friends, if you'll stop by sometime, I'll take off this serious face. We'll smoke and get into some blackberry wine. This year's batch is just right. My old neighbor, the moon, will climb out of the hills happy to join us. Yard lights a mile away in the valley will be no closer than the nearest star. Half lit ourselves, we'll sit on the veranda telling preposterous stories, like the one that begins, long ago on this planet there was a man, an ordinary man. A country place is quiet at night, in the woods sometimes an owl or coyotes. Upstairs, one of the kids must be having a dream. Oh, that makes me want to sit on my porch in the nighttime right now. I said that poem was simple, and in some ways it is, but I also admire a lot that's going on in there. Toward the end, he doesn't describe the sounds of the owl or the coyotes, but when he says upstairs one of the kids must be having a dream, I, that's a metaphor. There have actually been times I've gone upstairs 
thinking I was hearing one of my children, especially when they were younger and I was in that high alert state all the time to hear their little cries and would go up and realize it was just distant coyotes or maybe a distant owl that I'd heard, but sounded like the whimpers of a child. That's a strong, sensual ending to that poem. Okay, I have one more. If you are a well-read poetry lover, you're probably wondering if I'm going to read this next poem, this certain one. You probably have one in your mind. You're probably thinking, Mary, if you're doing poems about blackberries, you have to read Meditation at Lagunitas by Robert Haas. And you're right, I do. I gotta. And I'm about to. This one should probably be read twice. I'm only going to do it once because I want this to be a short episode. So I'll say a couple things ahead of time. This poem is doing a couple things at the same time. It's talking about language and memory. It's talking about how do words work? How do they mean what they mean? How do we know what they mean? What do they represent? How do we use them to cross that bridge in between us and another person? So there's some philosophy in here, even some epistemology. Um, there's even a scene of some friends sitting out late at night and talking about what words mean and how the more you say a word, the more it can start to fall apart under your hands or under your mind and start to lose its meaning or become more confusing. Um, so there's many italicized words in here because he's talking about the word itself as a symbol for something that we're trying to figure out what that symbol represents. It's not as confusing as it sounds once I start reading, but keep that in mind, that idea that poets, of course, are so obsessed with, how do we get words to work for us? How do we use them to communicate? Can they mean more than one thing? The symbol and the reality. This is an ancient, ancient meditation on language. To me, it's fun to think about. I never get tired of hearing poets address it. In fact, this poem reminds me in some ways of T.S. Eliot's poetry and his tackling of these big ideas of memory and language's meaning and how that connects to the moment itself. So that's the other part in here, the meditation on language and how we use it and what it means. And then the other med meditation on actual experience of the thing itself, the sensual, um, actual coming up against meaning with our bodies and our emotions. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to give this a shot. This is a very famous poem. You'll probably hear it again. And I'll end the episode by reading this. Just so you know, this is a poem that takes up a whole page. I know I like to have some concept of where I am when I'm listening, beginning, middle, end. Um, this is a page-long poem, so it goes on for a while. But not too long. Meditation at Lagunitas by Robert Haas. All the new thinking is about loss. In this, it resembles all the old thinking. 
The idea, for example, that each particular erases the luminous clarity of a general idea. That the clown-faced woodpecker probing the dead sculpted trunk of that black birch is, by his presence, some tragic falling off from a first world of undivided light. Or the other notion that because there is in this world no one thing to which the bramble of blackberry corresponds, a word is elegy to what it signifies. We talked about it late last night, and in the voice of my friend there was a thin wire of grief, a tone almost querulous. After a while, I understood that, talking this way, everything dissolves. Justice. Pine. Hair. Woman. You. And I. There was a woman I made love to, and I remembered how, holding her small shoulders in my hands sometimes, I felt a violent wonder at her presence, like a thirst for salt, for my childhood river with its island willows, silly music from the pleasure boat, muddy places where we caught the little orange-silver fish called pumpkin seed. It hardly had to do with her, Longing, we say, because desire is full of endless distances. I must have been the same to her. But I remember so much. The way her hands dismantled bread, the thing her father said that hurt her, what she dreamed. There are moments when the body is as numinous as words days that are the good flesh continuing. Such tenderness, those afternoons and evenings saying, Blackberry, Blackberry, Blackberry. Thank you.